What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the third episode of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. Today, we are talking Zion sighting. Zion gets cleared for practice, which means it's only a matter of time before his first game. The Jazz are who we thought they were. What does that mean for the playoffs? Right now, they're regular season juggernauts. And also, we got to cover some weekly games that have happened, some key matchups that we're going to talk about. We're going to hop right into the Wizards versus the Pistons. Wizards pull out a 119-116 victory in overtime off of another Kyle Kuzma game-winning shot. Kuzma finishes with a smooth 26-7. Bradley Beal puts up another 25 points with zero three-pointers. Really getting in the paint, finishing with five assists as well, getting inside. Uh, Jeremy Grant also finishing strong for the Pistons. 28 points, 14 of 15 from the free throw line, fully attacking that weak Wizards inside defense, who has currently been bottom five since honestly, I started talking about them in the first episode. Uh, take a little credit there. Pistons are on a 10-game losing streak, are currently 4-17. and 17. That is good for worst in the NBA. Tank for Chet Holgram. Who knows what that means? Uh, Cade Cunningham has not looked like the number one overall pick we thought we were getting uh, going to get. Cade is only shooting 38% from the field, 32% from three, averaging over four turnovers a game. But he is getting 15 points, six rebounds, and four assists. So he is hitting that rookie wall early on. He is inefficient. But you do see a couple of those clips early on of him just being and passing the eye test. He is a great pull-up jumper. He's hitting some threes. He's not afraid to shoot, and he's going to make mistakes early on. Like I said, he's only 20 years old. you got to give him time. But as of right now, not getting that return on investment when you see a lot of those early rookies like Evan Mobley, Josh Giddy, Franz Wagner are getting early returns from their teams. So when you're drafted number one overall, pressure's on. Let's see how he, see how he handles it throughout the season. Uh, another quick feature about uh, first-round rookies, Corey Kispert. Where the hell is he? I have, have not seen him. The Wizards, he was a DNP for the first time this season. He is averaging 12.3 minutes per game for a Wizards team that has playoff aspirations. Corey Kispert came into this draft as the full away best shooter in this draft, bar none. Out of Gonzaga, shot 47% his senior year. This year, he's shooting 23% from three, averaging 3.7 points per game, and he is now from what it looks like, completely out of the rotation. Not a good look for a 23-year-old senior, 23-year-old rookie out here trying to make an impact in the NBA, and he cannot do what he was drafted to do. Got to turn it around, bud. Hopping right into the next one, Rockets versus Nets. No Harden, no Jalen Green. Still a great game. Featured a high-scoring James Harden, 25 points, 11 rebounds, 8 assists. Always a great stat line stuffer. Great for fantasy. Not great for efficiency. 4 of 16 from the field. A lovely James Harden stat line. Uh, the no Jalen Green is super interesting to me. Uh, the Rockets are on a seven-game win streak after losing, I believe, 16 in a row? A very weird dynamic. First team in NBA history to ever go on a 16-game losing streak and then immediately follow it up with a seven-game win streak. Don't really know what tier they are, but they're playing the young guys. The Rockets are in a full-blown youth movement. They have benched Daniel Tice after everybody has been begging them to do it. And they're going full Christian Wood. Uh, Eric Gordon 
is really the only veteran on this team, and he is back, and it's so good to see. He's been hurt for two years in a row, essentially. He's having a career year from the field. He is shooting his second-best three-point percentage at 43.8 from the field, and he just looks good. He looks smooth. He looks healthy. It's awesome to see. He's going to have great trade value. His contract no longer looks untradeable. I mean, if you can trade Russell Westbrook's contract, you can pretty much trade anything. Um so Gordon looks great, man. I mean, it's awesome to see him back. He's going to go to a contender throughout the year. They're going to get something for him. He just doesn't make sense on the timeline for this team, but it's always great to just see him there. Um, back to kind of Jalen Green, his situation. Obviously, Jalen Green is a dynamo scorer, very inefficient young guy. The Rockets are 6-0 and without him this season, and they are 2-16 and with him. I know that doesn't really mean anything. It's just kind of a cool stat to look at and kind of think, like, because he's so inefficient early on, he's not really going to affect the game that well. He's going to go out for hot spurts. I know he had 30 early on in the season. Really hasn't done much since. So that question is immediately going to be brought up of, can Jalen Green and can KPJ play together? Kevin Porter Jr. has a lot of pressure on his back trying to be the de facto point guard, and I just don't know if he has the capability. As a Cavaliers fan, I was able to see him early on, and he is a dynamic playmaker. He's athletic. He can get in the paint. His handle is extremely tight, and for anyone that has ever played basketball before, going up against a lefty is just hard. It's just hard to do. So seeing him out there with Jalen Green, like athleticism-wise, you have two 6'5 athletic freaks out there in the backcourt. On paper, it looks great. On the court, it's a little tough because they both have that alpha personality. They both think they can go out there and do it. Um, you know, They're going to say they're going to make adjustments. I do want to see it on the court more. I hope they get more time. I just don't know that they're really going to get that. They have a lot of first-round picks coming up in the next couple of years' drafts, especially all the ones from the Nets. Who knows what they're going to convey, but they're going to have first-round picks at the wazoo. And getting a point guard in there is going to be detrimental to kind of make that team work. You see what the Cavaliers have done with Darius Garland and... The, first, the, the way the offense looks between him and Colin Sexton is huge. So bringing in that into that offense for a dynamo scorer like Jalen Green is probably going to be something they're going to need to work out soon. Uh, last but not least, we have the Nuggets versus the Pelicans in another overtime thriller. And it was the battle of the big men. A little bit of a throwback matchup of Jokic and Jonas Valanciunas going at it. Jokic looked like the obvious MVP candidate that he is. 39, 11, and 11. He is putting the Nuggets team on his back, doing everything that he can. No Rivers, no Dozier, no Murray, no Porter. Does not care. He is doing everything and anything for this team. Shooting threes, making plays, running a pick and roll, running a pick and pop. He is doing everything for this team to will them to victory. They're only 500. They're still in the playoff mix. They're going to be closer to the playing tournament just based on all the injuries they have. But if they make the playoffs, Jokic is essentially... He has to be in the top two, top three when it comes to MVP just because of his ridiculous stat line. And we have to show some love to Jonas Valanciunas. He got so much shit over the past offseason by getting traded for Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe, immediately signed a contract extension, and everyone's like, how the hell is he going to fit with Zion Williamson? Well, he is currently leading the NBA in three-point field goal percentage, I know he's only taking 2.53s a game, but he's shooting 46.3%. That's insane. That makes no sense. It's Jonas Valanciunas. He's averaging 18 points, 12 boards, two blocks, and almost a three and a half, 1.5 threes a game. Jonas Valanciunas. The Pelicans are 720. They have a lot 
more questions to answer. But Jonas is kind of answering that question of saying, like, he can play next to Zion. He can go out there and stretch the floor. Steven Adams couldn't do that. So I'm really interested to see what that fit looks like. So we'll see once that once that kind of comes away, when Zion comes back. And speaking of Zion, we had our first Zion sighting. News came out earlier this past week that Zion was officially cleared for full contact at practice, which is great news after this offseason. In training camp, there were rumors that Zion came in at 330 pounds during his injury rehab. Zion was always a big dude, always bulky, an extremely athletic bull that he is. 330 pounds is absolutely insane. He is not going to last long if he continues to play the way that he has. And you look at him on the bench in games. You look at him in the stands. You look at him walking around. You look at him in those TV commercials of the NBA 75. He looks big. He looks not athletic big. He just looks big. That's concerning. He's had injuries already. He hasn't really been himself. When he's on the court, he is an absolute dynamo. He is a Giannis-level freak of nature, getting in the paint, around the rim. He's shot, I believe, over 73% at the rim. He's unstoppable. His size, he just cannot be stopped, but he has to maintain that weight. He has to be at a decent playing weight. He During his rookie year, he was playing at around 285. Everybody's saying he needs to be around 265, 270. If he can keep that weight, he is a Charles Barkley clone, just more athletic. And if he can do that, he is going to be a dominant force in the league for a very, very long time. But those are big questions. Those are huge questions to answer. And for the Pelicans, they're 7-20. and And the Pelicans have made some pretty damn awful decisions this past offseason. David Griffin has been known across the league as a phenomenal GM. But this offseason has made him look atrocious. His decision-making was real, real bad. It worked out with the Jonas Valanciunas trade. They were able to pick up another first-round pick and move back in the draft and grab Trent Murphy, who's been fantastic shooting almost 40% from three and being able to stretch the floor as a 3 and D fit. Uh, they were able to draft Hurt Jones, 3 and D. He's shooting 38% from three, very low volume. He's just averaging over just a three attempt per game. But a huge miss you cannot underemphasize is letting Lonzo walk and bringing in Devontae Graham and trading a first-round pick to sign him. No. There's there's no way that you bring in Devontae Graham, then sign him to a four-year, $47 million extension, and let Lonzo Ball walk. The reason that they brought in Devontae Graham was they thought that he would be able to stretch the floor better and fit with Zion. Lonzo Ball pretty much told them to kick rocks, and he is out here shooting 42.7% from three, while Devontae Graham is shooting 34.5. Playmaking, you probably said, oh, well, in Devontae's sophomore year, he averaged eight and a half assists a game. He's like, oh, he's probably going to come in and, you know, be a great playmaker. Lonzo's averaging more assists, while also has a higher assist to turnover ratio. He has a better field goal percentage. He is a light year better when it comes to defensively. It doesn't matter if you're out here trying to pinch pennies to try and give Zion the max money. You have money. You have the salary cap. You easily could have given Lonzo that four-year, $80 million contract that he got with the Bulls. That is a massive miss. That cannot be understated. Lonzo Ball is the perfect glue guy. 
He's the perfect player on any championship contender. He is an unselfish old-school point guard that just wants to shoot, rebound, play within the game, play within the just everything that's going on, play within the offense, motion, pick and roll, spread, seven seconds or less. He can do anything, and he doesn't have an ego. No, no matter how big LeVar Ball's ego is, Lonzo Ball doesn't have an ego. He just wants to play basketball. That's it. And while, yes, he was taken number two overall, I don't think Lonzo Ball is going to be an all-star. And that's fine. Lonzo Ball is the perfect point guard for any championship team because he just fits. He fits around superstars. And that's what you ask for. You have a superstar in Zion Williamson. You have a potential superstar in Brandon Ingram who has made an all-star team before. But you're 7-20. and you have to get a direction. It doesn't make sense. What What is the best lineup look look like for the Pelicans when Zion comes back? If Zion comes back next week, clears practice, looks great, gets conditioning down, gets to his playing weight, what does that lineup look like? Devontae Graham, Josh Hart, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas. Does that look better than a playing team? Because to me, there's no way in hell in a loaded West that team is a top six team. There's no way. There's no way the team is better than the Jazz, the Suns, the Warriors. I don't think they're better than the Clippers, honestly. Don't think they're better than the Mavs. And you can make the argument that they're better than the Lakers and the Nuggets because they're hurt. You have a team like the Timberwolves. They're young. They're hungry. They have proven all-stars in Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Edwards. D'Angelo Russell is who D'Angelo Russell is. When he's hot, he's great. When he's cold, he looks atrocious. But they're there. They could be in the mix. There's no way this team's going to be out of the play. And at that point, you're already 7-20 and right now. Zion's hurt. What are you going to get? Like, what's the plan? Like, are you going to be able to be in the play? Right now, right now, you're the third worst record in the NBA. It just doesn't... There's no direction as of right now. You have all-stars. You have talent. And yet, you're the third worst record in the NBA. And I know Zion hasn't played. But is Zion going to make that big of a difference? Is Zion going to come into this league, come in at 28 games, 29, 30 games in, and for the next 50, are they going to go 30 and 20? Are they going to go 35 and 15 to where they finish above 500 and finish at one of those top six seeds? Absolutely not. He doesn't have that kind of impact. Also, he he doesn't have the healthy track record to play in all those games. So you're going to lose games that he doesn't play in. So you are in a terrible position as the Pelicans because you're in no man's land. You're in the middle ground. You are where nobody in the NBA wants to be. You're in the old school Orlando Magic territory before they tore it down, where they were constantly fighting for the eight seed or the nine seed. You're in essentially Blazers territory of, yeah, they make it to the playoffs. Yeah, they, they're going to be teetering between like the six, the seven, the eight seed before the playing tournament. They're going to get bounced in the first. They're going to get bounced in the first every year. They had a fluke year where they made it to the Western Conference Finals. But besides that, they're just middle ground. You're the Hawks back when you had, you know, all those all-stars of Jeff Teague, Kyle Korver, Al Horford, Paul Millsap. What a team. They got bounced in the second. Swept completely by the Cavaliers. Just swept. They have to have a direction. Use this year very similar like the Spurs did years ago with David Robinson. David Robinson was hurt all year. Spurs finished with the worst record in the league. Got the first overall pick. Who they draft? Tim Duncan. I'm not saying there's a Tim Duncan draft prospect in this league, but there are a couple really top prospects coming out 
you have Chet Holgram, you have Paolo Banchero, and you have a stud point guard from Purdue in Jordan Ivey. You land a top three pick, you're looking fantastic. You pair one of those three with Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and a young core, you give Zion the complete bag over the offseason, every penny that he wants. Give him the rookie max, give him everything. You're looking fantastic. That's a direction. That's a plan. Playing this middle game of no man's land and thinking that Devontae Graham is going to be your difference maker and lead you to a home court advantage in the Western Conference, you're insane. You're absolutely insane, David Griffin. Make a decision. Pick a direction. Because right now, huddling in middle ground land of the NBA is where you lose your job. That's how that works. Staying where you're at makes no sense. Pick a direction and go. On to my favorite team in the NBA that I love to talk about more than anybody. The Utah Jazz. The Utah Jazz are a regular season dynamo. A dynamo of a team. I talk a lot of junk about the Utah Jazz. And I always will. Because they have to prove it in the, in the playoffs. But I will give them their regular season shine. Because they're an incredible regular season team. They always will be. They are built for the regular season. As long as you have Rudy Gobert, Mike Connolly, and Donovan Mitchell, you are built for the regular season. You have a superstar in Donovan Mitchell. And he is a superstar. He's an all-star caliber talent. He can go and score with anybody. He plays incredible defense for his size. He's only six foot one playing the two-guard position. I personally believe he's a point guard, but we'll get into that. You have a reliable veteran of Mike Connolly who did make a first all-star team last year, which is a complete and utter fluke, but it's my form. Grit and grind, by the way. And then you have Rudy Gobert, who I believe is the most overrated player in the NBA. And that comes with the title of making $200 million a year. When you make $200 million in a contract, not a year, in a contract, you better be the best player on your team, on the court, at all times. Rudy Gobert is not that. Rudy Gobert gets played off the court during matchups. And I'm going to bring up last year in the playoff series against the Clippers, because it has to be said. Against the Clippers, Tyron Lue made the chess move of all chess moves to pretty much say, Rudy Gobert, we are going to guard you with guards and wing players because we don't think you're tough enough to go battle down low. And he was absolutely right. Marcus Morris guarded Rudy Gobert in that series more than anybody else. Not Zubac, not Ibaka, not anybody else. Marcus Morris, the six foot eight swing forward, guarded Rudy Gobert. Marcus Morris also shot 43% from three that series. Rudy Gobert could not, he, he, he's a paint protector, he could not go on the wing. Trey Mann was giving that team buckets, series long. Journeyman Trey Mann was giving them 30. Reggie Jackson looked like Lord knows what, averaging 22, 23, putting up numbers against that team. Because they went five wide. Rudy Gobert cannot slide his feet. He can't play on the perimeter. He got benched in fourth quarters. You can't make $200 million and get benched in the fourth quarter. You can't do that. That is why the Jazz will never win. 
That's too high of a cap number for a guy who is just an incredible defender. Rudy Gobert has to get his due. He's very effective. He's long. He's an incredible defender. He's a defensive player of the year. I get it. I'm not saying he's a bad player. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve credit where credit is due. He is a great player. But he doesn't deserve to make $200 million. The Jazz overplayed their hand and said, yes, he's going to dominate down low. He's got the size. His career averages 14 points a game. You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. Donovan Mitchell deserves to make that kind of money because Donovan Mitchell puts up those numbers. He puts up all-star numbers. He has potential to be all-NBA numbers. He needs to play point guard. You put Donovan Mitchell at point guard, Mike Connolly is a great shooter. I personally believe at this point in career, he should be coming off the bench, and the closing lineup should be Jordan Clarkson and Donovan Mitchell. Clarkson is a dynamo offensive presence. You saw it last year with six man of the year. He's doing it again, giving absolute buckets and scoring to the best of his ability on a great contract. You bring in Conley off the bench, he is going to be a six-man-of-the-year candidate. That's what he is in this point of his career. He's too injury-prone. He needs to be watched. If you want to actually make a playoff run, Utah, you have to plan for it. You have to plan accordingly. What does this best lineup look like? In my opinion, it doesn't involve Mike Connolly. Mike Connolly should get you through stretches, and when you shorten that rotation and you bring Mike Connolly off the bench, you can mix and match, and he can win you games in the second and third quarter. Donovan Mitchell is going to win you the game in the fourth quarter, not Mike Connolly. So you have to give him the chance to do that. Rest Mitchell in the middle of the game. Let Mike Connolly shine. At the end of the game, that has to be where Donovan Mitchell shines. And he deserves it. You have secondary scoring in Bojan Bogdanovic. You have secondary scoring in Jordan Clarkson. Royce O'Neal can shoot threes. You have that ability there. Just let them go. Let them do it. And it just doesn't make sense. And Quinn Snyder's a great coach. He's a phenomenal coach. But he hasn't won anything. He hasn't. He's not making adjustments. He's going to the same lineup over and over, year after year, and it's just not working. Royce O'Neal shouldn't be playing the second most minutes on this team. That's like playing Jay Crowder the second most minutes on the Suns. It doesn't make sense. You're falling in love with the wrong kind of player. You need to put your all your eggs in the Donovan Mitchell basket and ride it into the goddamn sunset. That's where it's at. The Utah Jazz are just constantly in this perpetual cycle of running back. Run it back. We got it. We're the Utah Jazz. We're good. We got Rudy Gobert, Defensive Player of the Year. We're good. No. At that cap hit, you're never going to win. Changes are coming in Utah. They have to. They have to come. Because I don't believe this team is going to make it out of the second round, as per usual. But I'm going to go a step further. I don't think they make it out of the first round. They're going to do what they usually do. Right now, number two teams in the NBA are the Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. You can make the argument that the third best team in the NBA is the Utah Jazz. If the Utah Jazz, if that scenario sticks, one, Golden State Warriors, two, Phoenix Suns, three, Utah Jazz. As of right now, they would be matched up against either the Clippers, the Lakers, the Mavs, or the Nuggets. I don't think the Utah Jazz can beat a single one of those teams. I don't think they, beat, I don't think they can beat the Clippers, because they already lost to the Clippers last year. And now you incorporate the potential of Kawhi Leonard coming back healthy. If the Clippers make the playoffs as a sixth seed and Kawhi Leonard is healthy and they have the Utah Jazz in the first round, Kawhi will play. Now you have Kawhi, Paul George, 
Marcus Morris, Reggie Jackson, Trey Mann, Serge Ibaka, all these players, Luke Kennard, that are ready to go. Brandon Boston's out here balling in Kawhi's absence. They're deep. They're athletic. They can defend. They can run. They can do everything the Jazz can't. The Clippers will win. The Mavs. Luka Doncic. The Mavs are disappointed this year. I get it. But they have Kristaps. And Kristaps can pull Rudy Gobert off the court. Rudy's, Rudy has to guard Kristaps. No one else can on that team. What, are you going to put Bojan Bogdanovic on Kristaps Porzingis? All right, he's going to go for 30. It, the matchups, every single matchup does not favor the Jazz in the playoffs with other shortened roster. I'm taking the Stars. I'm taking the Stars because they're not letting Donovan Mitchell shine, and they're putting their eggs in the Rudy Gobert basket, and unfortunately, it's just not working out. Donovan Mitchell can go for 30, 35 at any point. The only problem is his second star in Rudy Gobert, and he's only going to go for 12. He's only going to go for 14. Yes, great job. You grabbed 15 rebounds. I'm so proud of you. At $200 million, you should be doing a whole hell of a lot more. I'm going to put it in a quick perspective for you guys. Would you rather have Rudy Gobert at his contract of over $200 million or Jarrett Allen at his with $100 million? The answer should be an absolute unanimous Jared Allen. Because not only does Jared Allen do essentially everything Rudy Gobert does, obviously to a lesser level defensively, Rudy Gobert is, you know, has a 7'9 wingspan. I get that. Jared Allen is a great defensive rim protector. He is, I would argue, more athletic than Rudy Gobert because, as you see this year, the twin towers of him and Evan Mobley, they are switching and interchanging on 1-3-1 zones. They're sliding their feet and guarding guards. They're guarding wing players. They're extending the floor. They're doing everything on the defensive end, and they're not getting played off the court. Why is Jared Allen not getting played off the court, but Rudy Gobert is? So you're telling me I can have Jared Allen at his $100 million contract, $20 million a year, and I can get an additional $20 million to go spend on a star, an additional player to bring into Utah. You do that every time. But Utah's paying Rudy Gobert $40 million a year, and they're stuck. No one's taking that contract. No one's taking that scenario. And it doesn't make sense. So unfortunately, with the scenario of that for the Utah Jazz versus the Mavs versus the Lakers, I hate the way the Lakers look this year with the LeBron, Russell Westbrook, and Anthony Davis. And I would still take them over the Utah Jazz because they're stars. There's no way that this Utah Jazz team would beat LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook, and whatever random retired veterans that you want to put in that eclectic version of the Lakers. And whatever you want to bring in Charles Barkley back, you want to put me in there, the Lakers will win. Because... I don't believe that Utah will be able to keep up with them for seven games. Because they just can't. They can't keep up with that style. Especially if they play AD at the five. They played AD at the five. They're stretching out Rudy Gobert. And it's the same thing over and over and over. Same thing with the Nuggets. I don't think that Rudy Gobert, because Rudy Gobert would obviously have to guard Nikola Jokic. Because again, what are you going to do? You're not going to put Royce O'Neal on him. You're not going to put, I mean, again, sorry, Bojan Bogdanovic. You're not going to put Bojan Bogdanovic on him. And it's the same thing over and over. It's rinse and repeat. The Jazz have such glaring weaknesses that it's so easy to attack. It's so easy to just go after it. So until they make that change, and until Quinn Snyder says, something's got to give, you saw a slight change in the Cavs game. 
this past week when the Cavs were playing the Utah in the 109-108 game, you saw Rudy Gobert guard Isaac Okoro. In an actual competitive playoff game, Isaac Okoro is not playing in that game. He's not in that deep scenario. You have Ricky Rubio. Ricky Rubio is on the floor, not Isaac Okoro. So then who's Rudy Gobert's guarding? So again, that's the scenario. So now you have everyone on the floor can shoot threes. Everyone on the floor can extend the game. Everyone on the floor can get Rudy Gobert out of the paint. Then what? Then where is Rudy Gobert's value? Because he's not going to attack. If Rudy Gobert was out here getting 25 points a game and just bodying people in the paint and acting like essentially a prime shack, which he physically has the size to do it, then we don't have this conversation. Then he's taking Marcus Morris to the paint every single time, and he's getting 20 and 10. Then that contract looks incredible. He is a constant all-NBA player, and we're good. Then Utah's making Western Conference Finals. They might make finals, finals champions. They might be NBA champions if that's the case. He's not doing it. We have all the data. Not saying Rudy Gobert is a 14 point, 14 rebound player, 2.3 blocks a game, and that's what he is, which is fine. But that player, sure as hell, should never be making $200 million. And as long as Utah keeps doing this wash, rinse, and repeat style, they are going to be in and out of the first round, like always. And that's just another, another year Donovan Mitchell gets older, and another year. That goes by on Rudy Gobert's contract until it's all over. And Utah can thank the heavens that he's gone. I want to thank you guys for stopping by. Let me rant about the Jazz. Talking about Zion and our always weekly recap. We have new episodes that pop up every Wednesday and Saturday. Thank you guys for coming by. Check us out on Instagram as well as Twitter at Courtside Views Podcast. Thank you guys for stopping by and giving us a listen. Again, I'm Andrew Bostic. See you guys next time.